Patricia Clayson. I am the founder of Healing Warrior Hearts. So what inspired you to create the nonprofit? Well, I actually created a program that eventually created a nonprofit. Um, in the very beginning, we didn't have, we didn't start with nonprofit status. Uh, myself and a man named Kristen Kramer, a Vietnam veteran, got together and created the program called Healing Warrior Hearts. At that time, it was called Bamboo Bridge because it was only the Vietnam veterans that we were serving. And uh, Kristen and I traveled around for uh, three or four years doing retreats just getting donations and getting people to give us space without having the nonprofit construct. And then, excuse me, then we found that we could expand our work considerably if we created a nonprofit because people could then get deductions for their donations as opposed to them simply being gifts. And we thought that might help. And so that's when we founded the Emotional Liberty Foundation. And the Emotional Liberty Foundation underwent a transition at the point where the government passed some special laws about funder advised funds. And so we then created the 501c3, we now call the Starfish Foundation. And Starfish sponsors the program Healing Warrior Hearts. Especially with veterans, the transition back to civilian life is so tough. What are some of the things you do to help veterans? Well, the structure of the program is to help them feel safe and comfortable and connect to a community again. Uh, we get a lot of folks who are lone wolves out there. You know, they, they went, they served, they came home. They didn't know other people in their community that served necessarily uh, because we no longer send people from a community to serve in a unit together. People just come from all over and are put in a unit. And so we help them find community again. We help them find the connection and camaraderie that they had with their uh, fellow military at the time that they were in service. Uh, so they have a support system around them. And then we give them an opportunity to tell their story, whatever part of their story it is that they feel needs to be told maybe hasn't been heard for whatever reason. Uh, and then we help them to future pace, to think forward into the future. How will I serve my fellow veterans? What am I going to do differently in my life? And so on. So it, the retreat, the weekend retreat is sort of a gateway into a community of support. And that community has fun gathering events. Uh, we're going to do an event in a few days where we're getting together at a lake here in Wisconsin and a local uh, boating company, a uh, marine company, is bringing their boats onto the lake and they're going to take the vets out on pontoon rides for the day and we're just going to hang out and spend time together. So we create events like that where they can just be with each other and we also offer them opportunities to do more healing to be involved in more what you might call personal growth type work and then we also give them opportunities to serve in that they can help staff a resource table or they can come back and be staff at a retreat what motivated you to start helping others well, that goes back a very very long way into my high school years 
Um, my dad was in the military. He uh, served in the reserves, put in his 20 years. He was a medic in World War II. And he was very involved in his local BFW post. And so I learned there the importance of being of service and helping other people because their job, uh, if you're familiar with the veteran service organizations, they see their role as supporting each other veterans and then also educating the community about military service, about veterans in general, things of that nature, Americanism. And so I learned that as a child growing up. It didn't register much until I was a teenager, protested the Vietnam War and had my dad say, no, 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 that's not the way you do this. <laughs> the way you do this is to look for ways to serve and to help create change from inside. And so that's what I learned to do. For me, I live with a bipolar disorder too. And when I was diagnosed, I didn't know where to find stories or where to find people who are going through the same thing. How important is it to give someone a safe space to share their story? Safety is the number one most important ingredient in the process of mental health, uh, working with mental health, emotional healing, all of those kinds of things. Safety has to come first. And so that safety has to come from outside of you in the sense of a, a community or a group or a family of people who offer you the love that's greater than the pain, if that makes sense. Um, it, it's like you have to have a sense that, oh, there, there's something out there that I can connect to so I can feel safe. I'm not abandoned. I'm not floundering just on my own. And so organizations like Healing Warrior Hearts, all of the wonderful mental health resources that have come out into the world in the last 10, 20 years, it's just amazing. Mental Health America and NAMI and, and other organizations like that, and many veterans organizations. When we first started this back in 1993, people thought we were really strange and weird. The VA didn't want anything to do with us. There weren't other organizations like us anywhere that we could find. And now today, there's probably a couple hundred organizations across the United States that are offering assistance to veterans um, in, in mental health issues, as well as homelessness issues and you know all kinds of other things that might be out there that, that are their challenge. And it, it didn't used to be that way. Yeah, I was actually going to ask about that with, you know, the over 25, 30 years that you've been working at this. Have you seen that people are being a little more uh, confident to open up? What? Yes, because what I have observed happening over, the, it's actually been 40 years since I started doing the work, 30 with veterans, another 10 years before that with people in general. And what I have seen is that the stigma on the idea of therapy, psychiatry, and in the case of veterans, even standard medical treatment, um, there was so much stigma on that for so long. And that has been slowly eroding away 
you know, the stigma has been dissolving a bit. And the more it dissolves, the easier it is for people to feel safe enough to say, I want to talk to someone. I need some help. I can't do this on my own. Is there someone out there who can help me? Um, 30 years ago, we didn't have 911, not 911, 988. You know, we didn't have crisis lines. Now we have this number anybody can call, right? The, the suicide crisis line. Um, we have mental health crisis lines. They started cropping up a little bit in the 70s, but didn't really become popular till quite a long time after that. So the the dissolution of the stigma in society in general, the way we talk about it has changed a lot. It's not all gone, unfortunately, um, but and it has changed a lot. There's a lot more safety to say, I need help. My brain works differently than your brain. Help me with this. So you dedicated a lot of your life to help others, but what do you do for yourself to help your own mental health? Well, I practice what I teach <laughs> as best I can, walk that talk, be a model for it, in that when I say you need to take time to downtime to nurture yourself, to replenish yourself, I do that. When I say it's important to reach out and have friends that you can talk to about anything, I have my friends, I have regular meetings, I have several friends, for example, that we meet once a month by Zoom. They're all over the country. Um, and so we just meet once a month, one-on-one, -on -one, and, and talk about how you've been doing for the last month. And if, if there's something we need to talk about, we can call each other in between. But it's a support system out there. So I've built my own support system. I'm active in the community. Um, so I'm staying connected to people because isolation is a factor that happens a lot in mental health issues. Um, so I make sure that I stay connected. I do some meditation. I get a massage and chiropractic and good health care on a regular basis. I've taken care of body, mind, and spirit where I'm doing things. I have practices that I do that help me to balance all that out. I, I couldn't do it otherwise. I've done over 600 retreats since I started doing this. And each one of those retreats is an intense exper experience. And to go through that and come through on the other side, not carrying all that heaviness with me took practice. I didn't, I wasn't able to do it in the very beginning. It was very draining and depleting. Now retreats energize me more than they deplete me. Uh, for me, uh, living with a mental illness, I have treatment, uh, medicine and all that. And, but with my, my wife and kids, you know, that affects their life too. How important is it for them to, you know, have a support system as well? It's very important. I mean, you, you have the support system that is each other, but then that support system needs to go beyond the family. Yeah. You know, um, your wife. Uh, ideally would have a couple of very close friends that she can tell almost anything or anything to <laughs> that, that she can talk with them, that she has what I call a trusted advisor, priest, minister, therapist, peer specialist, whatever the path is, but somebody she considers to be a trusted advisor that she can tell the things to she wouldn't tell to her friends, but also someone who has a more 
um, objective, less involved, less um, invested uh, relationship with her. So there, there's a different kind of advice and feedback that a trusted advisor can give you that sometimes even your best friend might not say. So yes, everybody needs that support system. The kids need to know that there's counselors in the school that they could go to if they need someone to talk to. Maybe you, uh, a family would even have the children see a therapist for two or three visits, not because there's something wrong, but because they want that child to know that there's someone they can go to to talk to who's not mom and dad. Maybe they might have that in an aunt and uncle, you know, another family member, but that totally distant, not distant, um, disconnected yeah. person who's not connected to the family so that the the person can say anything they want to say and it's not going to get back to somebody, even inadvertently. I mean, because you never know. Somebody might promise you confidentiality with their heart and soul and really mean it and then one day say something and not even realize that they just broke a confidence, you know? So having someone who doesn't know everybody else yeah. <laughs> is a good idea, you know? And and then having family practices that are about self-care, you know, learning to have family conversations. How are you doing? And, and not just a fine and walk away. Right. But, you know, being able to talk to each other, um, there's so many resources out there now, Michael. I mean, it's just so amazing um, to go out there. There are apps and websites that will help you have conversations with other people, give you conversation leads, you know, that to, to guide a family conversation or a friend conversation. Um, there's just so much available, but people need to know that it's okay to go beyond that tight family structure. Um, and be, go out of isolation because while the family support is absolutely critical, it can be sometimes isolated from the rest of the world and that's not good. So I hope that answered your question. No, that, that was really good. And you said you've done hundreds of retreats. How does it feel for you that you are making impact in these people's lives? It's very humbling to see that I have had the opportunity to be a part of so many people's lives and see their lives change and and sometimes meet them sometimes 15, 20 years later. And they say to me, yep, I did that retreat and it was the turning point in my life. And I've been doing all this other stuff since. And I don't know if I'd even be here today if it wasn't for the fact that we spent that weekend at a retreat. Um, so I, I feel humbled because I... I know from my personal spiritual perspective that it's really not me. I'm just like a channel for that love and that healing and that safety. It's not my ego that helped them. It was my heart that helped them. And to have been able to contribute to the world at that level, thousands of people, and then the rippling effect of those thousands of people what a gift to have been a part of that. So that that's how I think about it. What are some of the things that motivate you? Hmm. That's a powerful question to think about. Um, 
I guess, interestingly, I, I don't think much in terms of what motivates me. Um, what moves me to do this work is that I believe I am connected to everything and everyone around me. And so in that, I feel a obligation isn't quite the right word, but I feel like I, I have to, that part of being alive is that what I need to do is to contribute and assist my fellow humans in whatever way works for who I am and what talents I have. And I learned early in my life that one of the talents I had was the ability to speak simply and clearly and to help people see what wasn't working in their lives and think about what they could do differently. My friends came to me for stuff like that when I was a teenager and I've been doing some version of it ever since. Um, so I would say then perhaps what motivates me is that I get to see the, the benefit, the result of what I have done and how that has affected another person's life in a positive way. Um, if I can do that, I'm happy. So where do you want to see the organization in the next, say, three to five years? Well, this is a good time for you to be asking that particular question because I may not look it, but I'm 72 years old and I'm looking at retiring in the next couple of years. And so I am looking forward three to five years and seeing Chris Mallory, a retired veteran from Texas who's been working with the program now for about seven years. I see Chris leading the charge, so to speak. Uh, and I see me backing away more and um, doing teaching of instructors, but not necessarily being at all the retreats and doing all the administrative work and all that sort of thing, which will be nice because that'll feel like a big vacation. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and I know that Chris wants to expand it beyond Wisconsin and Texas. So I see it growing. Um, this work has always grown organically. I don't go out and try and sell somebody on the idea of holding a retreat in their location um, because I believe that what makes it all work is the passion that comes from a person's heart. And so um, I can't write an ad to find the person with passion. There's an outside chance that they might see it somewhere, but usually what happens is somebody comes to one of the retreats and then they want to do something in their area. And so we have done retreats in New York State, in Minnesota, in Pennsylvania, in Maryland, in California, in Florida. And when the person who had the passion for bringing the retreat together feels like they need to move on, there, there are sometimes there's not somebody there to keep it going. So we had that in Texas, which is why Texas is the second cornerstone of the organization, uh, second cornerstone location. Uh, and at some point, I think other cities will follow suit as well. How can people reach out to you and learn more? Well, the easiest way is the website, www.healingwarriorhearts.org. So simple to remember, healingwarriorhearts.org. There's uh, ways for them to send us an email from there. Our phone number is there. There's 
um, information on how to volunteer. There's background information on the retreats. There's a registration link. So everything they need to get good data and, and information about the organization is there on the website. And I welcome anyone to give me a call at any time, and I'm happy to talk with them about the program. Um, if they're not local, our organization is not quite big enough yet to be able to provide transportation airfares to people. Um, but once they get to us, we take really good care of them. So uh, sometimes they need to find their own way to us. But we have had people come from all over the world. We've had people come from Australia and England and Cambodia. So people can come from anywhere and they are welcome.